It's April 1st, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover a couple of science and tech stories, and then we're going to focus on innovations in reading with Mark Watkins from the Hawaii Project and Marlon Sarmiento of Honu and Friends. Finally, we'll talk about the growing interest and need for cybersecurity education. We've invited Jake Ross and Mike Hurd to fill us in. As always, we'd love your questions. As part of that conversation, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. But first, the headlines. Well, the state of Hawaii committed to reaching six sustainability targets by the year 2030 last year. Uh, describing those goals as the Aloha Plus Challenge, now there's a way for the public to track how well we're doing. The Aloha Plus Challenge dashboard is being unveiled as we speak at the special event over at the state capitol. The new online tool will help residents and stakeholders alike track progress at the state and county level. The Aloha Plus Challenge covers clean energy, local food production, natural resource management, solid waste reduction, smart growth, and climate resilience green jobs, and education. The dashboard now features indicators for two of those, that's clean energy and solid waste reduction, and all of them will be online by 2017. The challenge was created by Senate Concurrent Resolution 69, passed by the legislature, signed by the governor, all four county mayors, and leaders of the Office of Hawaiian Affairs. The resolution was even cited as a model of integrated sustainability by the UN's Conference on Small Island Developing States. Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell said the city has been very aggressive in pursuing sustainability goals, particularly in the multimodal transportation and clean energy arena. Maui Mayor Alan Arakawa challenged his fellow leaders to meet the challenge uh, to target goals ahead of schedule. Uh, Big Island Mayor Billy Kanoi said in a statement, our community is committed. We continue to develop the tools and technologies we need. And with the Aloha Plus Challenge dashboard, we have the means to measure our progress toward a more sustainable Hawaii. Now, just interesting, uh, this is this is part of the uh, open data, uh, uh, I guess, bill. I mean, they've uh, taken advantage of uh, Socrata, the open data portal. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these dashboards are actually being... Uh, generated by open data sets that people can go and look at uh, uh, at data.hawaii.gov. Right, and in fact, this dashboard is live right now, the Aloha Challenge dashboard at dashboard.hawaii.gov. And so you can look and see live, you know, what the progress is. Total energy use, minus 2% relative to uh, 2008. That was the baseline when we're talking about those uh, clean energy initiatives and stuff like that. Um, On track with renewable efficiency at 33.7%. And you can basically, I mean, I'd imagine it's not quite as exciting to just sit there and watch, but you can check in any time well, you want I, I, to see think, how they're um, doing. If people are really interested in perhaps looking at the data and, and visualizing it ways that perhaps uh, go beyond just a dashboard, they are free to do that as well. Right, right. The data is open. And I like that they're not – It's the good thing about open data is that it's it's honest, right? It should be true and transparent. So I'm looking right now, solid waste reduction, uh, 40.1% uh, saying needs improvement. In other words, we're not on target right now to reach the goals that we've set for ourselves So I think, again, that's a good thing. That's at dashboard.hawaii.gov. Broadband Internet access is one of the key ingredients needed to sustain a vibrant startup scene in Hawaii. Nearly every conversation, though, about Hawaii's innovation future includes more than a few gripes about how expensive and slow Internet access is in the Aloha State. The state is now in the middle of a multi-year project to assess the broadband landscape in Hawaii, but some insights on how we're doing can be found in the latest State of the Internet report out of global networking giant Akamai Technologies, which came out this week. 
Well, the bad news, Hawaii was one of the five states that saw a decline in its average peak connection speed in the fourth quarter of 2014 compared to the three months prior. Hawaii's peak connection speed dropped 1.4% to 42.7 megabits, megabits per second in the fourth quarter. Hawaii also got low uh, marks for 4K readiness, a new metric Akamai created to address the rapid growth and popularity of high-definition streaming video services. The Aloha State had the second lowest readiness rate with only 7.2% of the households having access to 15 megabit per second speeds. But Hawaii shines when it comes to broadband penetration numbers. Hawaii actually ranks third among all states. It rose 2.5% to 89% over last year. Only Delaware or Rhode Island show more than 9 out of 10 IP addresses that connected to Akamai servers at 4 megabit per second speeds or better. Of course, the entire nation has room to grow. For example, the U.S. had an average connection speed of 11.1 megabits per second last quarter, but that's compared to Japan's 15.2, Hong Kong's 16.7, and South Korea's 22 megabits per second. Well, you know, the broadband uh, issue has been something that has been discussed for many, many years, and it is probably one of the key pieces of infrastructure that I think Hawaii needs to have to be competitive in the 21st century. Uh, there was a recent um, Hawaii Venture Capital Association panel on broadband, mm-hmm. and I thought uh, that was uh, very enlightening. I mean, there were some key uh, panelists. Uh, one of them was Gordon Bruce, who we'll have on the show next week. But uh, one of the things that he brought up was the fact that you know there's so many different things going on, sort of independent of each other, that there isn't really one place that you can go to to find out where is broadband in Hawaii. Right, right. I think right now it's under the DCCA. Well, there's DCCA, there's a little bit of DBED, there's a little bit of OIMT. Yeah, and UH. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of players in there, and I agree, there's no singular kind of uh, information source, advocacy source. I mean, there should be a dashboard, right, you would think. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so it was. it's pretty good, uh, but I like that they said Hawaii's doing pretty good on penetration. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, they talked about the max peak speed, uh, 42.7 megabits per second. I don't know who gets that in Hawaii, but whoever's getting it, that sounds pretty good to me. But uh, And all states really are doing well in terms of that peak speed, but I, everyone, I think, should be paying attention to that average. Um, and if, the, if you need 15 or better to do high-definition Netflix, which I certainly do, then uh, at least my neighborhood's not quite up to that Step well, yet. and you know, with the oncoming uh, onslaught of more data, more Internet of Things, more augmented reality, which we'll talk about in a little while, yeah, uh, there's going to be a need for greater bandwidth. Absolutely. Uh, checking with the Hawaii Tech Calendar today after the show, we're hosting the first planning meeting for the eighth annual Unconference uh, coming up on May 16th. Tonight, we'll brainstorm some sessions, topics, as well as other ideas to make Hawaii's longest-running open plan tech gathering the best one yet. If you are in the area or just Stuck in Armageddon 2 or Carmageddon 2. <laughs> come, on, yeah, come on down to Hawaii Public Radio Studio over on Kaheka Street at 6 p.m. tonight. That's right. Now, tomorrow on the Big Island, the monthly brown bag lunch presentation is happening at Nelha. It'll feature new programs at Hawaii Community College. Jessica Yamamoto, who heads HCC's rural programs, will talk about new certificate programs in technology and industrial maintenance. Her presentation will begin at noon at Nelha's Water Lab. Of course, you should bring a lunch and your curiosity. For more information, you can contact Keith Olson, and he's got an email address. It's keitho at nelha.org. And now joining us uh, by phone all the way from Boston is Mark Watkins. Uh, He's a serial entrepreneur and founder of the Hawaii Project. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hello, Bert and Ryan. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, 
So I'm 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 thankful that you stayed up late uh, to join <laughs> us on the radio. Uh, Won't you tell us a little bit about the Hawaii Project? Yeah, uh, the Hawaii Project is a personalized book discovery service. So um, you know, there's so many books out there, um, it's hard to find the great stuff. And so the Hawaii Project learns really quickly what authors you love, what kind of books you like to read, what topics you're interested in. And then it just brings you great book recommendations and book news every day. Now, Mark, uh, I'm, I'm, on, I'm one of his beta testers, been receiving some of the examples of these recommendations. I want to talk a little bit about that technology piece. But certainly, we're talking to someone in Boston running a project called the Hawaii Project. So the immediate question is, why are you calling it the Hawaii Project? <laughs> I was going to ask that question, too. Yeah. Yeah. What's um, the connection? Yeah, I have about a foot of snow in my, uh, in my <laughs> yard right now. But uh, I guess the traffic on each one has been a little bit of an adventure the last few days. It too, has. So we all have our challenges. Uh, it turns out my wife's family is from Kailua, and we've been coming there for pretty much my whole life. And it, it's always been a place for me where I could kind of recharge my batteries and revitalize. And a big part of that for me has always been relaxing on the beach with a great book. And, you know, that's just been a big part of that experience for me. And I wanted the other people to sort of, that's the emotion I'm trying to get mm-hmm. to is, you know, there's just nothing better than being on the beach with a great book. And, I mean, you see even Amazon and other booksellers, they use people on the beach with books as part of their marketing. So it's I think it's certainly a good choice there. Um, but uh, in terms of the technology of recommendations, you know, Amazon has probably massive amounts of data to tell me what books I might be interested in. Netflix tries to pick shows that I might like. I'd say they're a little less successful at that. But what's the, is there a secret sauce? I mean, I don't want you to give the recipe, but what is it the Hawaii Project will do that will make me feel a little more uh, loved and catered to than some of these big data projects? Yeah, so there's, I think there's two things that are unique in what I'm doing. The first is it's, it's very deeply personalized. It, you know, it knows what authors you love, what kind of books you like, and it really understands that at a very deep level and can and match your interest to books. But I think the other thing that's interesting is, is how I'm, I'm, I'm sort of drawing from the universe that of books that are out there. Um, you know, we all have a, these friends that, you know, the friend who always knows about the cool new restaurant that, that came out or who, who, who's always on kind of the cutting edge of new things. And we go to those people. They tell us about new music. They tell us about new restaurants. Um, what I've found is a way to do that. So, so those people in the books world, are out there on the internet, and I found a way to kind of listen to what those people are talking about, ah. and then match that up against what you're interested in. So, if, for example, you're interested in startups, well, it turns out that you know there are venture capital people who are writing books about startups, and you know the books that they're writing about are really relevant and they're really high quality. Or people who are interested in you know historical fiction, they're out there reading and finding the great stuff, and then they're talking about it. And so, I found a way to kind of uh, you know mine the web for what those tastemakers are writing about, and then match that up with your interest. And I think so, that's very different from, you know, Amazon. Where Are you guys uh, Game of Thrones fans at all? Ah, we yes, are. we are. So, you know, the, the way I talk about it, like Amazon will tell you, you read the first Game of Thrones book, uh, well, they'll tell you to read the second book, but you didn't really need a system to tell <laughs> you that. Um, what, what the Hawaii Project will do is not only will it tell you about all that obvious stuff, but it'll also tell you, you know, George R. R. Martin has a blog, and he's actually posting right now about what he's doing for the next season, and we'll bring you that news because we know you like Game of Thrones. So that's that's. And yeah. we'll tell you that George R. R. Martin actually recommends this other book that he that was one of his inspirations for the Game yeah. of Thrones, and we'll bring that to your attention. So I think what. What we're doing is sort of richer and deeper than sort of the very kind of basic thing that you get from Amazon. So you're actually pulling references from from blogs. You also give those blog uh, posts uh, to the you know to the recipient of your your project. 
Exactly. That's when, when I talk about books and book news, I, I will bring you books and I will tell you, oh, you like, uh, you know, this Game of Thrones, you might want to read this other book, but I'll also bring you what those other people are writing about so you can follow authors and when they're writing things, I can alert you to things that they're writing about. So it's kind of, you know, for the old school people in the audience who are used to RSS readers where you could kind of subscribe to people, um, it has that kind of flavor to it where people you're interested in, if they're writing something, um, the Hawaii Project will alert you to that. That sounds Very great. Cool. Now, um, Mark, uh, one of the things that it was that I got the sense was that there's also kind of a social impact aspect to uh, the Hawaii Project. You know, making book recommendations, we all like books, um, but there's, there's a higher cause as well. Absolutely. You know, when, as, when I started working on this, I started working on it for myself, like, like a lot of startups do. And as I started building it, I, you know, I, I, after I left my laugh company, I, I really wanted to work on something that, that had some meaning to it. And so um, I'm really passionate about books and literacy. I always have been. And so um, you know, I'm taking 10% of all the revenue that comes out of the Hawaii Project, and I have three literacy nonprofits that I'm, that I'm donating to. And, you know, those organizations are doing great work promoting literacy, and that, that's kind of the higher cause here is I love books, you love books. Let's, let's help people who are maybe a little bit less fortunate or don't have the same opportunities to yeah, sounds good. So, Mark, uh, where can we find out more information about the Hawaii Project? So, um, the big news for us is we're launching a Kickstarter uh, tomorrow morning, and um, and so hope people who are listening might have a chance to check that out. Um, they can do that by going to the HawaiiProject.com slash Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and you can find us on the Kickstarter website as well. But the main URL is the HawaiiProject.com slash Kickstarter. Great. Fantastic. So we'll definitely put that up on our show notes. Thanks, Mark, for joining us. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Great. Thanks, Mark. And uh, speaking of Kickstarter. Speaking of Kickstarter, now <laughs> joining us is Marlon Sarmiento from a, a company called Collate. And he's a, it's a creative services agency, and he's here to tell us about an augmented reality project called Honu and Friends. Welcome to the show, Marlon. Hi. Thanks for having me. So now this is another interesting, uh, I know you got a Kickstarter project going, and uh, it's called Honu and Friends. What is it, uh, what is it that Honu and Friends does? Hono and Friends basically is a um, is a uh, a brand mm-hmm. of characters that'll come out with different topics. Our first book would be an alphabet book, and every topic is going to incorporate technology. In this case, it's augmented reality, and the aim is to engage children in learning. Um, for our for our alphabet book, um, every letter is going to have a different character. They use the app the augmented reality kicks in. So there's a 3D model that just pops up above the page, and it's interactive. They press on the character. It does something. Um, an audio file will be embedded in every letter, and it'll phonetically sound out each letter so children will be able to hear what they see. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, it's going to be gamified in an educational way. Um, our second book would be the uh, Mathematics Unlike regular books that has math problems, it's already printed. Our app will randomize the numbers, so they'll never remember the answer. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is we're going to incorporate a way where parents can monitor the performance. That way they can find the problem areas. They can say, like, oh, you know, she's having a, a bit of a problem doing her um, uh, subtraction when it comes to two-digit two digit numbers for mm-hmm. some reason. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able to, to work with that. So I'm, I'm guessing that the kids will probably be more uh, attuned to the application than the parents. Might well, that's be. that's the thing too. Yeah, I mean they're going to they're growing up with iPads right. and tablets. Uh, this is the reason why we 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 we're doing it, and we don't want children to feel like parents are 
watching over their shoulders trying to make sure that they're learning. Mm-hmm. We want it to be fun for them so that they'll just do it on their own. You know? So I, I like that because you know a lot of people think of augmented reality as cutting edge and new, but when, you, when it comes to the tools that we're talking about, smartphones and iPads, uh, a lot of kids are more natively familiar and comfortable with these things than, than some adults are. So uh, vir- instead of virtual reality where you're wearing these big goggles and your, your field of vision is completely covered and you're in this uh, virtual environment, augmented reality is uh, you have a video on your site, for example, where you point it at the book. It says whale, a whale seems to be floating in the air uh, in the space you see through the camera. So if you're in a coffee shop, now there's a whale floating in the coffee shop. And one of the f- best part of the video is you have a kid who sees the whale on the phone and then keeps looking around to see where the whale is in real life. I mean, I think that's that's really compelling. Right. Thank you. Yeah, um, we we want to be able to, to do that. And one of the things that we realized when we were doing the videos with the uh, parents is that the parents were also engaged in into the book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for the Kickstarter video, we were we wanted to get the reactions from the children, but what we found out was that it kind of seemed to bring the parents closer together with their kids, mm-hmm. trying to learn it. And also because it kind of, you know, it, it's it's a cool thing to watch, you know, if you see a jet just flying into the TV, mm-hmm. and then they, they kind of have fun, both of them. So with, uh, with the first book, the alphabet book, so each letter has an associated... Uh, animal associated with it, right? It's an animal or like an object. So know? let's say let's say the letter A. What what was the animal? It's that, an apple. Apple. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a, it's not an animal, but it's a it's an apple. So what yeah. was what would the apple do when the when the child sort of looks at the letter A? Okay. With when they look at that, they can press it and it'll just explode. Our <laughs> well, kids and like it, it, apple. it has a little well, sound explosions. Effect. Kids like yeah. explosions. Uh-huh. Too. Yeah. Our first demo had a apple tree and they didn't know what to make out of it uh-huh. so we just you know just just let's just make it explode uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> now now um i mean there are re- studies that that say that the kids will engage more with the topic if there's something sort of 3d associated with it and in the case of uh, this sort of augmented reality if you have uh, you know like a character that's associated with the alphabet i mean there's a there's a the time that they're involved with it is longer. No, definitely, yeah, and that's why we want to gamify it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how what's the gamification element that you're trying to introduce? Okay, uh, for example, um, M is for monkey. Mm-hmm. So we have on our, our we're demoing it out right now. Uh, we have the monkey be in a maze, so it'll he the the child will have to figure out how to make that monkey go through the maze. Mm-hmm. I see. I so see. it's things like that. Oh, you know? okay. And the apple, one of the possibilities would. Would be to be able to have it, uh, have them figure out a simple math problem with the apples, mm-hmm. like how many apples do you see, and they have a multiple choice, one, two, or three. Well, you know, um, even Mark, we just had on on from Boston, thought that this was really cool. He was a backer. I became a backer because oh, I have kids who love iPads and all of that. Uh, and I, I, it sounds like you're actually pretty close to releasing, whether or not the Kickstarter g- goes all the way to the goal. But if somebody wanted to support. Honu and Friends, this first book and future projects, uh, where can they find more information? Well, they can go to our website. It's at honuandfriends.com. And if you take a look at the website, there's instructions on how to get to our um, Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, we have about 15 days left Mm -hmm. um, before the Kickstarter campaign ends. So please support us. Okay, sounds good. So we'll definitely uh, put that up on our show notes and uh, get some support for Honu and Friends. Thank you. So thanks, uh, thanks, uh, Marlon, for uh, for for <laughs> Marlon for joining <laughs> us.
No worries. Uh, thank you for having me. All right. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Jake Ross and Mike Hur to talk about cybersecurity capacity building. That's right. Filling the need for cybersecurity expertise through education. We'd, of course, love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. Once again, the number to call is 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio and we're monitoring Twitter. You can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. Time for more HPR listeners to step up to the plate. Our sustaining members are offering a dollar-for-dollar match to new team players willing to help pay for the programs they regularly enjoy without commercial interruption. If you're not yet a sustaining member, pledge a minimum of $10 per month by April 5th. That's probably less than your Netflix subscription. You'll get the satisfaction of knowing that your gift to the station will be doubled and you'll be able to wear with pride the HPR Logo Baseball t-shirt we'll send you. For the first time in 10 years, we've been able to lower the pledge goal for the upcoming drive. Sustaining members and first-time members made that happen. Now your donation can help shorten the on-air drive. Here's how you can make a difference. Call 955-8821 during business hours or pledge online at hawaiipublicradio.org. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Jake Ross and Mike Herr. Jake is an IT specialist over at the U.S. Uh, Navy and a mentor for the Cyber Patriot program. Mike, meanwhile, is a system security engineer with Referentia, and he's responsible for the implementation operation of the State of Hawaii's Security Operations Center, or SOC, to unify security throughout the state. And, of course, why is there a growing need for cybersecurity expertise? We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome Jake and Mike to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thank thanks you. for having us. So, want to you know sort of get a get a big picture? I know we've been you know we've uh, both Ryan and I we've been talking about <laughs> cybersecurity uh, for for uh, many a year, and always when there's a uh, you know something eventful happening, uh, Sony hacks, you know, we'll Target bring, hacks, we'll bring it up. And <laughs> and Mike, you've been on our show too before. I mean, you know, of course, the last time you came on, you were in uniform and talking about cybersecurity. But you know, I want to sort of start off with uh, you guys giving us an assessment of where are we kind of from the big picture standpoint, and, and why is this topic continuing to be a focus of attention? And, and Jake, maybe you can fill us in. Sure. I think Ryan kind of started, hit it off in the head right there, like the Sony, like the mm-hmm, very high-profile mm-hmm. attacks and that we've been seeing. And I think, uh, like we were talking earlier, like, it's going to be more prevalent with like the Internet of Things. Like my refrigerator has an IP address now. I mean, attackers, you see that. As, <laughs> it like, does? Well, mine does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wow. not sure about yours. Yeah, but yeah. <clears throat> So it's, it's just that it's more things are going to be attacked because more things are out there on the Internet. And there's always that concern about SCADA and the, the grid and, and having those things vulnerable to attackers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's profitable, too. So I think that's that, that's kind of the thing. We're driving up against a profitable business of hackers and attackers who are making tons of money illegally, like the Silk Road. And um, we're trying to do it from a good guy perspective on a very like shoestring budget. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike, uh, you were previously with uh, the Navy, right? Air Force. Air Force. Oh, sorry. I mean, you know, I don't want to... Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, you know, get into Start some sort anything. of yeah, fight or anything. But, you know, Air Force and, and as far as uh, uh, 
your experience at the Air Force and then now going into the private sector, you're still in, in the sort of cybersecurity arena, right, at Referentia. Yes, uh, yes. And And have you seen sort of a growing need in terms of the private sector and, and even with the public sector work that you're doing? I mean, to, to get more sort of cybersecurity implemented in, inside the government? Yes, there's definitely a growing need. Um, like I said, the, the attacks are continue to happen, and um, we need the skill sets, and that's what's missing right now. You know, it's trying to get the um, the right people with the right skills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then is that is that the and that's something that I think we'll talk about in a lot more detail. Uh, is there a general recognition that the skill sets don't exist here, and we need to sort of build this capacity? Um, I think the skill sets exist here, but I think there's a, a lack of people to fulfill those skill sets. That's what's missing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in, uh, in terms of the, uh, um, I guess, digital literacy, I mean, where does that start? Does it start in elementary school? Does it start, uh, you know, where do we start to get kids really aware of sort of this digital environment? I think they're aware of like six months old now when people are <laughs> handing their, you know, the iPads to their, their children already to entertain them. So the, the children are already aware. It's just getting aware of the the other side, you know, the security aspect. They don't have to be full-blown secure, cybersecurity experts, but at least understand how to protect their privacy and and secure their devices, you know, patching and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I got to say, I have three kids. They've been they've grown up with technology. For them, hacking is in a way innate because first they find their way around my IP blocks. They find a way to get <laughs> past the filters on the internet. They find a way to use the apps I don't want them to use. And it's a it's a game of cat and mouse. But they're already active players in that way. They say, okay, this is the security measure in place. How do I get around it? And I have to think on the other side. All right, where are they going, and how do I stop it? There. It's been fascinating over the years that uh, I think the same way that we I might have been finding ways to maybe sneak out of the house or you know get around uh, blocks in the old days now it's like getting around these technological blocks as well so uh, Jake you know you talked about the Sony hack and things like that I think one thing that people don't understand are sometimes unfamiliar with is that when you talk about hacks on systems attacks on systems it's no longer like uh, somebody might decide hey I'm going after Hawaiian Electric today and they just do it that day in fact isn't it true that because of the wide availability of almost out-of-the-box hacking tools, that almost any computer that is exposed to the Internet just minding its own business will automatically be the recipient of thousands of attempts just trying any possible tool to just see if they happen to have left one door open, like any computer right. pretty much. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. I think you, I mean, like you said, your example is a good micro example of, of what everyone's doing in real life, right? So, I mean, there's people, bad guys, your kids, you know, the bad guys <laughs> that do finger quotes on radio. And, and they're trying to, they have uh, something that they're trying to get after, right? They have an incentive, they have a motive. And people who have, everyone has a motive, with their, whatever they're trying to do. So if it's, they're just, they found some cool tool that they want to see what kind of damage they can do. You know, like, oh, I, I did this, I took this down, or I put my name on this website and, and, and look at me. Or if they're doing it for financial gain, it's, it's a, there's, there's really no stopping them, right? You can only kind of impede them and, and maybe kind of like shift them off to maybe another target. But if they're determined and they're, they're going to get there one way or another, whether it's um, technology or social, um, social engineering or something, like if they want something, they're like um, the, co- the, the term coined was APT, Advanced Persistent Threat. So um, Mandiant did this great report about the APT1 in China. They nailed down a unit and they said like, this, they're in this building. This is the, the contracts for their telecommunications. This is like their manifesto. And these are the people. This is where they park. And they're determined. They have 
a target to go after, and, and they'll get it, whatever, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. So there's no stopping them. It's just deterrence. So in terms of uh, trying to get uh, our kids better equipped, um, at, you know, and I know that Cyber Patriot, as an example, started off for the most part in, at high school, right? And it's now sort of coming into more intermediate elementary school. Is that, is that in fact, true? That is true, yeah. It's now they've gone, uh, this it's the second year, I believe, for the middle school program they started up. Um, so it's very, it's like, it's pretty much the high school program. They put it down into the middle school. So they're trying to start mm-hmm. them a little earlier. Um, so in terms of, uh, you know, getting middle school kids involved, what is it that you want to, you know, sort of make them aware of uh, from a practical standpoint, just to give them a sense of, you know, this whole arena of cybersecurity? To me, I just want to make them aware of, again, of just protecting themselves, understanding that, and then the potential that they can have, you know, if they continue through this career path. Um, there's a lot of potential, I think. And it doesn't have to just be cybersecurity. If they want to start off cybersecurity and then they like programming, that's great because now they're going to be a programmer but security conscious now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're talking to Jake Ross and Mike Herr about cybersecurity, about the Cyber Patriot program, about teaching these skills to our students so they can be part of the uh, – pipeline coming into the private sector where there is a need for these skills. If you've got a question, of course, you can call in and ask these experts at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We're also listening on Twitter. So, Mike, I my uh, youngest son is heading into middle school soon, and he saw something on TV not, rec- not, not too long ago about Cyber Patriot, I think, and a hacking program, and he's like, there's a hacking contest? And he was suddenly interested in it, and he said, so what's that like? What happened? And I had to admit that as much as I love the idea, I couldn't really explain that. So maybe to a parent of a middle school, incoming middle school student who thinks he's a geek, I think he's a geek, and thinks that this is something that he could find exciting, how do you make that pitch or how do you describe what that competition might be like for a young kid? Yeah, well, definitely after you explain what they're trying to do, we want to kind of recruit them. because <laughs> <laughs> But um, Cyber Patriot themselves, they don't, they don't claim to be a hacking competition, so it's more of a defensive competition. I see, I see. Um, and it's, it's, it's virtual machines and securing virtual machines, and um, you get scored on that. So it's, it's not, I would say, not real sexy sometimes, and that's sometimes it's hard to draw the kids into that. But uh, uh, us, we kind of like to teach them the other side a little bit so they understand what they're defending against. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, how long has the Cyber Patriot program been, been around? I mean, it's, it's probably, as far as we've been observing, maybe, what, a couple, three, four years um, seventh. It's the seventh. Uh, seventh year. round just wrapped up. And how long? How March. long has it been in Hawaii? Well, four years. Uh-huh. And then uh, it's a it's a national program, right? And it, uh, at at some point in time, local uh, businesses like yours wanted to get you know school kids involved. What was the sort of the the genesis of of Cyber Patriot? I mean, who is it that kind of really got behind the program? I know I know um, Nelson from Referentia was one of the key motivators behind adopting the program. But was there, was there, were there other people involved? So the Air Force Association is a sponsor for the Cyber Patriot program. And then um, as part of their, their sponsorship, they use the uh, JROTC programs in the high okay, schools. Right, right, right. And then that was, it was primarily a JROTC competition for cyber defense. And that expanded out to an open competition. So you didn't have to be JROTC. And then that's gone down to middle school. It's opened up to um, scouts, to any, any club, boys club, girls club, can, can participate in a competition. All Civil Air Patrol as well. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. And it's international. Like um, last week I mentioned that the, the Dodd schools, the DOD schools in like Europe and in, in Japan, they participate as well, Korea. 
Um, there's there's some Canadian schools as well. Have uh, have you? Uh, I know last week when we had the kids from Iolani come on, and they were talking primarily about the. Uh, uh, Moonriders, but they were also very familiar with Cyber Patriot, and I think uh, you know Iolani has a, a team that pretty much does quite well. But is it uh, over the course of the last couple of four years has it uh, been pretty successful in terms of gaining more acceptance within the schools? Um, yeah, definitely, it's, it's gaining more acceptance within schools, and we've um, had some. And Cyber Patriots kind of changed the way their. Um, recognizing too far as at the state level now and, mm-hmm. re- and regional level. So that's been helpful, I think, with getting um, more students involved. Um, this past year, it was um, we had the Punahou, right? As far as like the open division, you had Punahou, Iolani, and Waikea, mm-hmm. who actually scored well and did mm-hmm. well, you know, from the state perspective. That was the first, second, and third. And then for the JROTC, you had Mil- two schools from Milani. Uh, Milani was first, and then um, Leilahua, and then Milani was third again. Mm-hmm, yeah, two mm-hmm. two teams. Go mm-hmm. Wait, Milani or Milani? Milani for JROTC. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, so, Mike, I'm curious about the, that international and national component. Um, is it basically the same contest across? the program? Like if it's defending this particular system configured in this way, um, somebody who competes in Hawaii, if they were in Iowa or Japan, would be trying to defend the same system? Or does each regional competition kind of mix it up and you come up with your own uh, system to, to challenge students with? No, CyberPatriot actually provides you know either one to three images. Um, and there's even a networking uh, portion of it. They'll provide these images to all the schools, so everybody's on the same level. I see. And then um, there's a scoring bot or scoring engine on there. So as you're going through, you get scored on the vulnerabilities that you fix. Um, and then that just kind of, based on your time and the amount of vulnerabilities you fix, that kind of puts you in the ranking, and you get you get points off that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then it rolls into a, a state and then into a regional. If you make it in a certain um, level, like at the platinum level, and you're regional and you your top two teams for that region, I believe it's top two teams, you get a chance to go to the national finals in Washington, D.C. And uh, when's, the, when's the finals take place? Uh, they just took place a couple weeks ago. It's the end of March. Yeah, end of March. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then uh, um, I know that, uh, Jake, last week you were on talking about the uh, Cyber Hui. Yes. So what is, uh, what is the relationship between sort of Cyber Hui and Cyber Patriot? So when Mike and I started doing Cyber Patriot, we're running out to like two or three different schools, and then we're like, "This is crazy," you know. Like, we go to one school, we say one thing; we go to another school, we say the same thing. It's mm-hmm. like, why don't we kind of combine our efforts and you know, kind of crowdsource the the training, the education, and and bring the schools together? Because at the end, you know, everybody kind of wins, right? I mean, we're Hawaii; we're geographically separated. We should be, you know, that, that kind of plantation mentality of helping each other. Like, it takes a village. So in October 2013, we formed Cyber pa- Cyber Hui, which is a domestic nonprofit at this time. And uh, we've been just kind of meeting and working with Cyber Patriot people, um, developing training curriculum, uh, training programs. Uh, in 2013, we did a cybersecurity boot camp with the help of um, Honolulu Community College. We um, we just try and organize. So this weekend, this Saturday, we have a social, like an ice cream social. And it's just an opportunity for people to kind of get together because we find that if you if you've met someone before and and you know you have a like a personal relationship you're more willing to ask for help later on versus like oh I, I need some help and I see that there's these names here but I have no association with them so trying to get people comfortable and 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 networking and find out you know the different strengths and weaknesses and we can kind of grow and learn from each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are there uh um I know you guys have been involved with uh, the whole cyber patriots cyber hui 
you guys are like ground zero for getting this community started. I mean, are there are there other sort of key players that are yeah. coming to the coming to the forefront? Definitely. Um, this last year, um, ISSA Hawaii actually um, provided us some um, funds to kind of work with the students. Um, we've also had support from ASEA Hawaii. Um, Referentia mm-hmm. has been involved. Wake Light's been involved. Um, Shaka, Khan. Uh, Shaka Khan. Yeah, they donated mm-hmm. tickets, you know, to help us to try to get the students interested in, in cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Shaka Khan is like is one of a very long running security focused uh, conference, right? It's like DefCon for Hawaii. Or yes. Yep. Mind? It's in its seventh 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 year. Yes. Seventh year just like uh, Cyber Patriot was on the national scale. Yeah. <laughs> so it, there must have been some critical event that uh, <laughs> triggered all of this interest in that. Um, I, w- I wanted to know, I mean, because you talked about reaching out to some of these schools, certain these schools that participate, but certainly it's not all the schools. Um, and reaching at that point would be a, a scaling challenge, I would imagine. But how are you finding and recruiting and bringing in at a school level uh, different, you know, different campuses? Um, well, I know on the DOE side, they definitely have like a, a program manager that kind of tries to get people involved. Um, we've reached out to all the schools that at least we can find POCs for and just try to explain the program ah, and share out. So when you say POC, I mean, you have to find that person in the school that's really kind of into it. I mean, they're going to be the one that carries a message through the school. Yeah. Has right. it been has it been uh, uh, easy, hard to, to find that POC? Hard, because I'm usually searching online and, you know, <laughs> s- you know sending info at this school dot, you know, com or dot org or whatever. So I mean, yeah, because it must be a challenge, I mean, given the fact that, you know, there's a science fair, there's science olympiad, there's robotics, you know, there's there's a sea perch. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff already yes. going on. And then now you come in with Cyber Patriot, right. and it's another thing that that probably that one person that's been doing all the other five has <laughs> to now pick up, right? Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. So we're competing against all of those things, and like robotics is like, right? I, I build a robot, it you know breathes fire, it throws ninja stars. I'm like, versus <laughs> yeah, right, right. Cyber Patriot is like, oh, I secured my my Windows desktop, and yay me, you know? It's, right. it's, it's really there's not there's not glamorous. Like nobody really wants to do it, but. But I think, I don't know, if, if we get them exposed and introducing them to, like, Shaka Khan and, and seeing what, what, what when they bring in all these smart people to talk about all these scary things that they've been researching, it's like those are the kind of things that hopefully incentivize. Well, let me ask you. I mean, certainly now my daughter and uh, a junior in high school and we're already everywhere is the drumbeat about college, career planning, where you want to go, what do you want to do. So I can see the high school case. But clearly this program expanded to include um, middle schools because there was interest because that that path should start earlier. But how did you um, make that case to the middle schools that are participating that this is something, even though it's not uh, building robots that shoot ninja stars, that it's something that they should consider? It's. I, I think we just kind of, as, as our program grew, so like CyberHui, we, we tried to just field of dreams it, right? Like we, we didn't have the contacts. We didn't have the intimate relationships. Um, Mike and I don't have school-aged children that are participating in this, con- in this competition, so we were very out of touch. So we felt that if we built a program, big enough like grassroots that people would kind of come in organically uh, it would grow mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. to reach out we haven't I mean we reached out to the feelers that we could find like contacts for but we didn't really target like middle school per se and I, I, we really think that the focus is on the high school because of the, the maturity that you have to have to participate in this competition right 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 and, and, and sort of that's what the the cyber hui idea is right I mean right. it's trying to get people together <laughs> collaborate as a collective and then see how that branches out into the into the community yes and now just the back um, piggyback on that, we did have somebody that was involved with the high school and then went to uh, a middle school and actually stood up a middle school team. So that was ah, that was good. That's that was so, great. Yeah, yeah. You got to get a you know 
put that guy up on a poster. <laughs> right, that was over at Midpack, so I mean, they they had a successful middle school and high school team. Ah, Midpack. yes, Brian Dote, right. chief ah, innovation yes, officer, yes. a good contact. Well, we'll uh, we want to continue this conversation with uh, you know ideas of how to get uh, more capacity building and community built around uh, cybersecurity. Hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short uh, break to continue our conversation with both Jake Ross and Mike Herr about cybersecurity. So, how do we get more students and more schools involved? And I'm curious about some of the specific examples of what happens at this contest. What ports am I going to be closing? Of course, if you've got a question, you can give us a call at nine four one three six eight nine or from the neighborhoods eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. This is. Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha, this is Gene Schiller. Have you ever heard on HPR's classical music stream a composer you've never met who spoke to you? A singer from across the waters who brought tears to your eyes? A musical prodigy who made time stand still? These are the kind of experiences you won't find on any other radio station in the islands, and it's all made possible by listeners like you. Please consider sustaining these kind of magical moments. A little more than 30 cents a day will keep the music and the magic coming. It's your call. Mahalo. Walmart is the biggest private employer in the world. I can walk out the store right now. Somebody will say, man, are they hiring? I get this every day. Somebody's looking for a job at Walmart. Join us on the next morning edition for a look at Walmart in the community, from its impact on local wages to its opposition to Arkansas's Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8.30 on HPR One. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Hawaii Supply. Welcome back. This is Mike Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Jake Ross and Mike Herr about building cybersecurity expertise. And, of course, how much is social engineering a part of building a better cybersecurity? And, of course, you can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Uh, right before the break, we had a, uh, a call that came in that just wanted to share his question but didn't want to ask it personally. So <laughs> I will attempt to uh, ask the question for him. Uh, he just wanted to get a general sense of what your thoughts are on the security of, of online banking. And, and I think it's a kind of a general consumer question. But, Mike, do you want to you tackle that one? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's, a, there's two parts to that. There's one, there's the banking side, you know. And I think for the most part, that's the secure side. You know, they have regulatory requirements they got to um, follow. They have a business to maintain, you know. Um, but the other side is the user, you know. And to be secure, you got to make sure your system's secure, make sure you're patched, make sure you have antivirus running. So if... If you're infected, then no, banking's not secure. So, mm-hmm. But if and you keep I, yourself clean, then you're, you're good. And that kind of goes to the, the whole social engineering aspect of it. I mean, part of the insecurity of the system might be your practices, correct? Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, keeping your stuff up to date, you know, Flash, Java, Adobe Acrobat, uh, maybe no script into your browser, Um your browsing habits potentially, depending on where you go and what sites mm-hmm. you visit. So we won't get into that, but mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> well, I think a fair question that might, that someone would ask uh, is, you know, they they will admit, their initial question is, are the bank's systems secure? Is that 
safe for me to do my online banking. And what we're talking about here is that it is more likely that if there is a vulnerability, right. it'll be on the user end versus the, the bank. The bank. And I used to be the information security officer for a local bank, and um, we would get all sorts of reports of weird things happening, and people would call and say, your site is hacked, and we'd research it, of course, but it's because they have some weird browser install, I mean, uh, plug-in in their browser or something like that. So, uh, I mean, Jake, your understanding, I would imagine, is that the regulatory framework of banks, uh, uh, you know, financial crash notwithstanding, <laughs> is relatively uh, – established and strong in terms of making sure that institutions are protecting their systems. Right. I would agree with what Mike is saying is that the, the two components of it and the more trusted side of it is the banks and the regulations who are audited on, on a regular basis and their systems are patching up to date because if their site goes down, they lose money. I mean, there's financial incentives for banks to keep up to snuff. Um, the consumer side, I mean, there's a certain level of um, hygiene of cybersecurity or cyber hygiene that you should take you know, take place and mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. You know, securing your, your – using strong passwords – Using um, pro- uh, protecting your information, like when you go to um, connect to somebody's Wi-Fi, don't connect to anyone random, any random Wi-Fi, open Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. certain things. And and there's a lot of guides out there. I think the NSA ha- has a pretty good guide that encompasses everything. There's like 25 different things that you can do. And I mean, even like the the devices, changing your default passwords on your routers. Like there's people that go out and troll the internet. It's very easy to to scan the internet for routers that haven't changed your default passwords, and and people can log into them and, and tap into your information. I mean, there's like those uh, web cameras that, that, that what well, the infant and somebody right, who's yelling right. obscenities at at someone's child over the camera. I mean, right. those those kind of things. But simple things that you can do to protect yourself to kind of reduce that, your, your mitigate your your risk. Yeah. The um, part two of the question from uh, the ca- the caller that uh, sort of left a couple questions was the idea of of internet connected cars. Now, and you talked about your fridge being connected. Yeah, right? Internet of Things. What do you? I mean, uh, I think uh, this is just something that is going to grow in 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 I guess uh, uh, popularity and, and access is is just the fact that more and more things are going to get connected to the internet, cars being one of them. But the idea of uh, uh, potentially of a car getting let's say hijacked as a result of its internet connection, uh, what do you think is the probability of that occurring? Um. I mean, there's definitely a lot of research going on. Uh, one of the more famous hackers out there is Charlie Miller. He does a lot of research on hacking cars, and he's always pressing against the car manufacturers. Your stuff's not secure. So I think the potential is there. Will it happen? I'm not sure, but the potential is there for something bad to happen. So where we started this conversation was that these are skills that people should have. Um, banks and uh, other companies, any private industry, probably would do well to have someone on staff or a local company that specializes in cybersecurity help them make sure their systems are secure. But for that to happen, you need to have the employees with the skill sets and the talents, and training them in high school and then in college are probably is probably the way to go. Um, Mike, can you give me an idea of the of the scale of the the d- demand? I mean, it sounds like these programs are starting to grow and succeed because people are seeing the threats growing much faster than uh, company, the average company's ability to address it. Uh, we've talk, we've talk, we talk about physician shortages. We talk about brain drain, stuff like that. How is it in Hawaii for cybersecurity? Um, there's plenty of demand, and, and now it all go, go all the way down from the, the federal government is definitely looking for qualified personnel um, to the public sector. Um, the demand is there. I mean, it, it is there. You know, something that you folks uh, brought up uh, was the cyber boot camp, which you uh, were involved in with uh, the folks over at Honolulu Community College. And they recently announced something called Gen Cyber, which is a, a I guess, more uh, official boot camp that is being put together. Is there is there something that we could announce here on the show? 
Well, it's hot off the press. I think they just stood up their um, populated their website. So it's uh, if you go to GenCyber dash high dot dash hi dot org that have all the information on when the camp is so the camp is going to be from july 13th to the 17th it's going to be at honolulu community college uh, registration is going to close on may 8th and i and i think that they're um they're weighing it the the registration so it's not if it's not first come first serve it's they're going to try and uh, do some kind of a need assessment on that so on the 20th they're going to announce who was qualified or who is now you guys accepted. were kind of involved with putting this program together i mean maybe give us a little background on what the boot camp really entails if somebody wanted to enroll in it and, and you know take part in it well yeah we, we kind of helped with some of the shaping of the curriculum so um there's going to be the, a lot of um operating system familiarization so linux unix uh, some windows administration we'll cover some networking maybe network forensics uh it's supposed to be challenge-based learning, too. So it's not just like, you know, death by PowerPoint. It's definitely <laughs> going to be a challenge-based where, you know, we kind of explain something to you, then you go do it, you mm-hmm, know. And mm-hmm. and I think they're going to have some, like, some reward system in there they're talking about, too. They can, you can earn tokens or something like that. So Are you guys are you guys going to be teaching any of the uh, sessions? Um, it's, it's possible. Uh, I think they're still working on getting the, the teachers for the um, camp. But. You know, what's also kind of interesting is the fact that this is all free, too. Yes, definitely free. Right, it's free, and it's open for students and high school, uh, for high school students, grade 9 through 12, as well as teachers, high school teachers. So there's going to be two components, mm-hmm. two separate tracks. So if there's a teacher that wants to, just like a teacher might want to get into robotics or into any other specific thing, this could be something to help them become the uh, subject matter expert at their school yes. to, to propagate these programs. Well, and, you know, this was just uh, released today, so if uh, people are interested, I mean, this is kind of hot off the press. Yes. <laughs> now, Good stuff. Mike, can you tell me about uh, the co- the context of a Cyber Patriot contest? Now, you said, uh, much perhaps to some uh, students' chagrin, that it's a defensive uh, program, not an offensive one. So we're not at the point where we're teaching you how to hack a system. We're teaching you how to protect a system. Uh, but you mentioned, you know, how exciting is it protecting a Microsoft Windows box? But I'm curious about, the, the, about those platforms. Is it Microsoft primarily? Is it a mix of like, say, Linux or services that are now used for web web services, for example, pretty widely. Um, How wide does that net go? Yeah, definitely. They keep on widening that net, actually. So um, you can have your desktops. It can be – they don't do XP too much anymore, but, you know, you could have XP, Vista, um, 7, and 8, I've seen. Um, Then they get into the servers anywhere from 2003, 2008. Um, They may do 2012 this year. And with the servers, they also introduce applications, and not just Microsoft applications. It could be third-party. Um, they do have Linux, and that seems to be one of the more tougher ones for the mm-hmm. students. So they definitely bring in um, Ubuntu, um, and it could be a server. And previous years, they've done the headless one, where it's just you know no GUI at all. So that kind of threw the students off. Ah, a command line interface. Yeah, what, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. what is that? Uh-oh. Yeah. So uh, they 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 get the system they have to protect. They don't they they'll get that delivery and they'll have to apply their skills to protect it. Um, is there a period? Of, I mean, is there a time thing? Right. Is it like yeah. okay, you have thirty thirty minutes, and then after that, our hackers are going to try to breach your system? So that's no, that's purely no nobody's attacking you during the um, the rounds that are at home. Mm. So you got a six hour window to do this, and you could have multiple operating systems. Um, every round, so round one may just be one operating system, then round two maybe two or three. Um, the other good thing that they brought in, um, Cisco's a sponsor. So there's actually some, there's a networking portion of it now. And um, the students get on there and get the program routers, which is secure a network using a p- packet tracer. So that's another good opportunity for them. And they also do some forensics. So they'll have a scenario and they're like, you know, so-and-so did this or there's, you know, these are the authorized administrators. 
So you got to kind of go right. through and, and figure out the inform- information and answer a few forensic questions too. Mm-hmm. They kind of give you like a scenario. So like you're a newly hired IT person and we notice these kind of things. They throw you some breadcrumbs and you got to figure out like, well, why is this person logging in at four o'clock in the morning and when they're supposed to be here or, or something? And why is this service running and why are we connected this to this? So mm-hmm. it kind of leads you to answer those questions and then run through that scenario. You know, I noticed that the uh, information technology service over at uh, UH is also involved with the uh, Gen Cyber. Uh, one of the things that uh, came up for the last couple of years, and I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just toss this out to you guys, and, and uh, if you have uh, been involved, then please, uh, please uh, fill me in. But the, they've been creating something called a cyber range. And are you guys uh, involved with developing this cyber range? And what, what's actually, uh, what, what, is, uh, what does the cyber range consist of? I could probably take this. I, I wear multiple hats as part of uh, my regular job. Mm-hmm. I'm also in the Hawaii National Guard. So um, as a member of the Guard, we participated in the Po'ihe exercise. And that was um, a cyber defense competition. And, and the range was built to house that competition. So it's not like everyone hacks from home or hack. I mean, that's not the right. It might not be the right word. But <laughs> everyone, you know, secures the networks from home. And, and people are trying to attack it from someplace. It's, it's a safe training environment. It's like a, like a sandbox that everyone can kind of play in and nobody gets hurt. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Is, is the intent <laughs> right, <laughs> <Like> right. <that> <laughs> was. <laughs> so is is uh um is the cyber range going to be i guess stood up again this year over at uh and right we're is looking to be another contest going on right we're looking in july so sometime i i can't remember the date exactly between july 1st and the 10th there's there's going to be a poihe three so it's the third iteration of it and it's kind of changed it's, it's what changed. does poihe stand for poihe it's the tip of the spirits it's uh-huh, kind of like uh-huh. one of those military kind of things. So the cyber this this uh, um, cyber range is is not affiliated with with uh, the Cyber Patriot or any other program, right? It's is a separate UH thing. Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a UH program where they're they're trying to develop the range and it's to kind of help out with their um, with their studies. So I know a lot of the students, the like the MIS students, the the IT students, they uh, help out on the range. They they uh, build out the the virtual machines for the scenarios mm-hmm, and kind of mm-hmm. help with the storyboarding. So we're we're still in a little bit of the planning process and. Not, not so is that, is that something that you're, I mean, along with <laughs> Cyber Hui, Cyber Patriot, you know, uh, this uh, Gen Cyber, I mean, you're also involved with the Cyber Range. Right. Yeah, yes. So to, to some we're point. lucky you're a good guy. <laughs> yeah. I got to yeah. say that, you, you know, that you're not, a, not on the bad guy side. I, I make a lot more money on the bad guy side, but then <laughs> the, the risk reward is not there. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. so um, very quickly, I'm curious what the, the, the career pathway would be. So your program's been in Hawaii for four years. Almost enough time to have a high school student age through and come out and try to enter uh, either a, a higher level higher education program or even try to look at a, a vocational program or you know find a, a career already. Um, what does that look like today? So let's you're, you're talking to a senior who's in the program. What's the next steps for them to make this a career? So we actually we've talked about this and there's multiple paths. So depending on how you you know how early you get them in high school, but if you know if you get them and you can get them like on a certification track. I think come out of high school and, and get an entry-level job really easy. Um, the next step is to, to look at a four-year college or vocational. Um, military is definitely an option. So there's there's plenty of career paths that are available to the students. Do you work with, say, uh, like uh, PCAT, I think, at the at, at, right, uh, HCC, Honolulu Community yeah. College? Uh, definitely. I mean, that's kind of what we're working with, the, the Gen Cyber. You I know, see, I see. Yeah. I actually teach a course at PCAT for a CISSP course mm-hmm. that, that runs mm-hmm. somewhat infrequently, but... Uh, it's a cybersecurity course. It's a certified information security professional, system security professional. Now, you know, in one. terms of uh, you know, sort of building capacity in this in this uh, arena, uh, I know all of you have worked before. I mean, Ryan Bank, uh, you know, with Referentia and, and with the Navy. 
Uh, are companies in Hawaii typically hiring cybersecurity expertise? I mean, is that something that's on the you know on the uh, pr- uh, personnel requisitions and you know it's a listing on the job the job listings? I know from a consultant standpoint, we definitely are. Um, mm-hmm. We're we're always looking for talent. But I, I don't think businesses are, like, building that into their budget. I think they it's more cost-effective to hire a consultant or rather to have someone on staff. Like, we used to have the, that one IT guy who kind of did the firewalls, that kind of mm-hmm. did all the servers and the user accounts. And I think we're finding, uh, it's my, my opinion, we're finding that you can um, leverage the economies of scale by having a, a, a specific person to do your security stuff and to kind of be able to look out over the horizon and see the different uh, attacks and vectors like, using a specialized person. Well, you know, there's mm-hmm. one of the things that we talk a lot about, a lot about on the show is entrepreneurship, about pe- people being their own boss, doing their own companies, and certainly you could hang your shingle and say, I make apps, I make websites, I do these things. Uh, is that something that you were seeing in the cybersecurity arena, that you, if you d- develop that reputation, you have that skill set, that you can basically say, I can be applied to your problem wherever it is? Or are those lone wolves still kind of an, an oddity in the in the industry? Um, I think you see some of that. I don't know how prevalent it is, but there is definitely some of those out there. And a lot of it's, you know, maybe if you're like a pen tester or something like that, mm. you can kind of advertise your services. Great. So uh, where, can, where can we find more information about uh, all these uh, activities that are going on? So we try and do most of our, our information corralling through CyberHui. So okay. CyberHui.org. is going to be a sort of central repository for a lot of this stuff. Exactly. And we do um, our Facebook page. We do some limited social media on Twitter. But uh, YouTube, we have some of our videos that we've done in the past, our training videos. So if you want to kind of get an idea of what, what kind of stuff is out there, what kind of products we put out, that's a good place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, Mike, uh, anything you want to share? Referentials? Uh, website? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, well, like CyberHui social this weekend, um, it will be at Referentia, so. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a well-attended uh, event. Well, Jake Ross works on security systems for the U.S. Navy, and Mike Herr is a security systems engineer over at Referentia. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thanks, guys. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. You can join us next week when we'll talk about large networks and enterprise technology. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Koslovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a song that's been used for the Hawaii Project by Will Weston, and the song is called Heart of the Order. And we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. So